0: Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you are socialized as a woman. Around here, we are all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kappler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist confidence coach, and you've got episode number 5. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Before I get into today's episode, I want to make a quick announcement. This episode is brought to you by the Perimenopause Body Image Confidence Starter Pack. If you've been loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to dive deeper into this work, this is a great way to get started. It's a little collection of tools that I've created that you can start applying today to help you feel more confident when it comes to your body as you navigate this transition. It's free and it's available right now. Just head to the show notes or to michellecapler.com forward slash starter to get instant access today. Today, I'm going to share an interview with my colleague and friend, Ana Lopez, who is a very impressive person and an amazing coach who focuses on sex and sexuality within the Latinx community. She and I had a great conversation about sex drive and libido and relationships, and I can't wait to play it for you. We ran into some tech issues, and the sound on my end isn't amazing, so I will ask for your patience with that, because the knowledge and ideas that she shares are so, so good. Before I share the episode, I want to offer Anna's professional bio. Anna is a proud Latina and certified sex and life coach. She holds a master's of education in human sexualities and is currently pursuing a doctorate in human sexuality studies. Her purpose in life is to sexually liberate women everywhere, but she holds a special place in her heart for the Latin community. Anna's work includes destigmatizing sexual pleasure and desire and encouraging Latinas to talk about sex. As the owners of Sex in Spanglish, she empowers Latina women by coaching them through sexual issues and frustrations, utilizing science based sex education and her background in therapy. Anna's goal for her clients is to help them embrace both their culture and their sexuality without shame. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Anna. Hello, Anna. Thanks so much for being here with us. Hi, thanks for having me. So I've already read your professional bio in the intro, but I would love it if you would tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, so um, what else do I say? (laughs) So, I uh, am the owner of Sex and Spanglish, which is my sex coaching practice. Um, So I mainly work with, well, I work with women of all walks of life. So anyone that has been socialized as a woman, a woman. Um, I mainly work with Latinas because I do tie in like that culture piece, but I do find that any woman of color, um, from like immigrant populations definitely connect with my work. Um, so I work with them really to talk about like the cultural messages that we receive around sex and sexuality and about our bodies just in general, um, and really deciding what is it that we want to think compared to like, Oh, maybe this is something that I've been thinking that isn't even my thought. It's like my dad's thought or my family or my culture or whatever. I'm um, really deciphering what it is that my clients actually think I'm um, getting rid of all that shame and judgment and then really deciding like how it is that you want to have guilt-free pleasure. So I am a sex coach. So we do talk about the sex portion, but pleasure is really just like watching your kids play, sitting on the couch for five minutes without feeling like that oh I have to clean the house or, you know, organize the closet or whatever that is. Um, So that's like the bulk of the work that I do with my clients. And then um, I was going to say on the side, but it's really also a full time gig going to school. (laughs) Um, I'm a doctoral student and I'm currently researching perceptions and sexuality and how that then impacts. um, Pleasure.
0: Oh, so freaking good. I just love all of that. I love your work. I have been basically waiting with bated breath for us to have an opportunity (laughs) to amalgamate the work that we're doing together. So I'm really, really stoked for this conversation today. So we're here to talk about sex. Obviously, in the title of the podcast episode, we're going to talk about sex drive and libido. And my work in this world in terms of the perimenopausal transition is really just creating a greater body literacy see for people socialized as women as they transition through this period of their life. And so we've talked about kind of the physiological reasons behind decrease in libido. And that's all tied in with hormones when it comes to the perimenopausal transition. But I want to talk a little bit about or a lot about the thoughts behind all of that today. So let's just dive right into it. Let's talk about the mental... Thought piece behind somebody's change in desire for sex or libido? Because obviously, it all plays into the equation, the soup that we're swimming in when it comes to our sexuality. So, talk to me about some reasons why somebody's brain might cause a change in libido.
1: Yeah, oh, so many ways. Like, how much time do we have? <laughs> There's so many things, right? Um, I think that a lot of it that I see has to do with like expectations, whether perceived expectations from other people. So whether that be their partner or society's perceptions on what is expected as a woman, like performing in the bedroom. Um, also I have many thoughts about being a performance, but neither here nor there. <laughs> um, also perceptions about like yourself and like, Hey, am I pleasing my partner? Like all of these things, um, definitely, Play an important role, and like, oh, okay. Like, do I actually want to have sex? And I think what oftentimes happens is they're like, yes, there's a physical component, as you're saying, and also like that can be exacerbated by the thoughts that you're having about it, or maybe it's not even a physical component. Like, you're completely like, if we're gonna call healthy or whatever, right? Like, there's nothing physically wrong when we're talking about the libido, and it's really just like the thoughts that you're having. So it can be very like. Convoluted
0: Of course. so tell me about some of these thoughts that you commonly hear from your clients. What have you found to be the most libido blocking thoughts that people have?
1: I think it's some version of expectation. So like, I have to have sex x amount of times a week for that that X number sounds it's totally arbitrary, by the way, but it's it sounds different for everybody. I have to have sex x times a week or i have to do this certain act in the bedroom in order for my husband to or my partner to like not leave me or you, so they won't cheat or something like that and then that ties into like oh i don't like what my body looks like um i I'm, I'm too big here too small here or uh, it doesn't look the same after a child which Yeah. But, but it's very, it's in a very negative, you know, um, connotation to it.
0: Yeah, of course. I'd really actually love to dive into that idea of our bodies not looking the way they used to because that's something that in my body of work that comes up time and time and time again because as the hormones shift and as somebody enters into this period of time where they're slowly coming away from having a regular menstrual cycle and the hormones change, our bodies do change as a result of that. And something that I commonly hear almost universally in my clinical practice is I'm gaining a lot of weight around my middle and I don't like that, and it makes me feel less sexy. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah,
1: definitely. So I think that people believe that there's like this universal term for sexy and like this universal like definition of what that even means. But like every single individual has a different definition of sexy and like what that looks like and what falls into like that, I don't know, columns of sexy, right? And so Typically, when people are like, hey, I have like this certain thing, like if we go back to like, oh, I'm gaining weight around my middle. Well, that's not in their like, quote unquote, sexy column. And so they're just like, oh, automatically, that means that I'm not sexy. But that's not the case. Because I think that sexy is just a thought. Like you get to decide if you're sexy or not. Like my partner, we're talking about middles. He has, he has a little bit of a middle and he hates it. And I'm like, I think it's sexy. Right. So like, He doesn't get to decide, like he gets to decide what sexy is for him, but I get to decide what sexy means for me. And that goes both for my partner and for myself, right? Like I get to decide, but I'm the one that benefits from that because I'm creating the definition. So like the same individuals that are like, oh, I have a little bit more around the middle. I don't think that I'm sexy. Oftentimes their partners are telling them otherwise. They're like, no, you're still beautiful. Like I absolutely love how you look you know, whatever it is, regardless of what you think about your body. And they're like, no, no, you're lying. You're lying. Or like, whatever, right? They don't believe it. And so that really just further proves that like, you get to decide what that means for you.
0: So fascinating. And I'm always interested to ask people, you know, if their partner is sitting there saying the words, no, I find your body attractive. There's nothing wrong with you. I want to have sex with you. I love seeing you naked. This is amazing. Where do you think that little voice comes from? Where they're like, actually, no, I don't believe anything you say. And I think that I'm not sexy at all. Where do you think that comes from?
1: Yeah, I really think that it comes from like, your well, your own thoughts, right? And so if we go back a little bit further, like, well, where did those thoughts come from to begin with? I think that women are inundated or individuals that are socialized as women are inundated with all these messages about like what it means to be sexy, whatever that means. (laughs) Like, again, y'all get to decide what that means, but it's like, there's this specific, we're fed this belief that there's like this specific definition. There's a specific body type and like all of these things. And if you fall outside of that, then you're maybe not sexy. And a lot of this is very unconscious. We don't recognize that we have these thoughts about ourselves. It's very like we have like blinders on essentially. And so that voice is kind of in the back of your head. Many of us heard it from our parents growing up, especially our You know, mothers, grandmothers, like women in our life, but that's because they were inundated with those messages as well. So this is not permission to go and yell at your mom and your grandma and all the things. (laughs) Like they were doing the best they could with what they had, right? But just recognizing like they've gotten those messages as well. And if you I've seen these pictures on social media, I don't know exactly where people find these. I'm sure if you do a Google search, like old advertisements like talking about women being at home or like I've seen magazines even. And there's always like the, the vision for like the ideal body of a woman has shifted over time. And so it just depends on what time, like what era <laughs> I guess you are in, right? And so it's like, it's all just fucking opinions. But all of those opinions have been handed down to you. And you just assume that that was truth. And then you're like, okay, well, this person is lying to me, right? When someone contradicts you, when one, you find one person, right? Your partner is contradicting that one message, but you have a million voices in the back of your head from like CoverGirl and the commercials on TV and your mom and your grandma. And like, you know, they're, they're fighting, your partner's fighting a battle that like he can never win because ultimately it's the voices in your head that are like, no, this is not true. Right? Majority rules here.
0: And the really interesting thing to notice when you're talking about all that is that ultimately, if it comes down to your own thoughts about yourself, theoretically, we have the ability to change the way we're thinking about it. But as you were saying earlier, there's this almost unconscious or subconscious relationship to this that it's just so deep, so deeply socialized or conditioned into us that we don't even realize that. Even if our partner tells us that we're sexy, we just automatically shut it down. So what tips do you have for people who are interested in noticing that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So my clients always hate this,
0: my answer,
1: but it's really creating awareness. It's like starting to notice. It's like if you've been walking around with your eyes closed in essence, right? You want to start opening your eyes, noticing when you do that. And you may not notice that every time and that's totally fine, but it's really about noticing in the moments when this happens, when you shut down a compliment, when you notice a negative thought that you have about your body, when you notice like your partner like telling you, hey, I like your body and you're like rejecting it, right? If you want to throw in caveats to compliments or things like that, right? That is... That messaging coming up, or when you find yourself repeating the messaging that you heard about your body before. So it's just about noticing it. And at first, it's going to seem like, oh, I'm doing this like so much more than I was before from this awareness thing. But that's not what's happening. You're just aware of it now. So it's happening the same amount. Don't worry. So it all starts with that awareness. You're probably going to notice it in retrospect first. That's super common. Like it already happened, and you're like, oh. Like, I was like really down about my body today. Like, what was that? Right. And so it's about noticing it in retrospect. Eventually, you will get to the point after you practice a lot, <laughs> you will get to the point where it happens in the moment and you're able to shut that down. And then eventually, like, you know, you will get to a point where you'll be able to note, like practice ahead of time. Like, okay, no, like today, I'm going to be nice to my body, right? Taking it one day at a time. After that awareness piece, I always recommend a mirror exercise and you can definitely do this like wherever you're at and like your um, journey on changing your thoughts about your body is really standing in front of a full length mirror because there are very few people (laughs) in this world that have been socialized as women, but just in general as well that have stand fully naked in front of a mirror and actually observe themselves for more than like five seconds. Like I want you to stand in front of the mirror and like look at yourself literally for like five minutes in the front and five minutes in the back, getting really familiar with your body. What does it look like? What are all the textures, the different smells, all of those things? Because there are going to be things that you did not even notice that was going on. And this is not only from like a confidence perspective, but like you need to know your body. Like you are supposed to be like the most knowledgeable person on your body. And you and I have talked about this before, like in order to. Like, tell the doctor, like, hey, this is not normal for me, right? Like, your doctor's not going to know that, like, that mole wasn't there two weeks ago or whatever it is, right? Like, you need to know these things. And also, because I'm a sex coach, you get a pocket mirror, look at your vulva, you need to know all the things, you need to know your smell. That is totally normal, by the way. Most people think, like, there's not supposed to be a smell or, like, why am I smelling myself? You are supposed to know what it smells like. Um, if you want to up the ante, like, what does it taste like throughout your cycle, right? Like that's totally normal and totally okay for you to do, but at the very least knowing what it looks and smells like.
0: I love this idea as an extension of not only intellectually knowing your body and what quote unquote, normal means to you. But also, what are the other senses that you can use to get to know yourself more deeply? Because you're right, it helps. And this is something that we talk about on my podcast all the time, is that it's important for us to have this baseline of our own bodies of what is our normal, what is our variation of normal physiology within our own bodies. And using all five senses can really help you get a robust picture of what that means. And what that means is that when something is off or isn't functioning optimally, or maybe has changed, then we're able able to say with confidence, hey, doctor, I noticed this change. My lips usually look like this, or I usually smell like this, or my breasts usually appear in this way. And this change has happened. And And it allows you to more confidently advocate for yourself. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. We talked about the mindset part of things and that's a super important place to focus energy. And I know that's what you help your clients with all the time, which is so amazing. But I also want to talk a little bit about, hey, sometimes our hormones just change and our libidos change or our bodies change in ways that have nothing to do with our thoughts. And that might mean having to go and seek care. So can you give us an idea of your approach to how do you encourage your clients to advocate for care from their medical providers?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think it all starts with like knowing yourself, knowing your body, knowing like what's like, quote unquote, normal for you, right? Because the more confident you are in that knowledge, like, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this with 100% confidence could come up to me and introduce me with their name. Like they might be a little bit anxious, right? But like, they know their name, right? So you need to be that confident about your body and what is normal for you. Because if you are that confident, then you're not going to, you're not going to feel as awkward or as anxious going to the doctor and telling them hey this thing is going on right so when you are noticing that there's like a change in libido a change in sex drive right you i highly encourage you to bring that up to your doctor um and really if you're like hey something this is what's normal for me this is my experience this is what's happening If you notice that the doctor is, this is going to be entirely individualistic, but if you notice that the doctor is like kind of poo-pooing on your concerns or things like that, feel free to ask to see a different provider. And I say this from a place of privilege, knowing that I can seek another provider if that is an option. But, you know, I'm definitely happy to have a conversation with someone with what that would look like, because there are options, even if you don't have insurance or you have a specific insurance, like there are always options, but really advocating to seek a different provider and demanding that you get the care that you're asking for. So if they're telling you, no, this is normal, you know, if you know that this is not normal for you, then really reiterating that. Another trick that I always do, I don't know if it's really a trick, a hack, I guess, is saying like, okay, like, so you're repeating what they're telling you, right? So if they deny you any further testing or anything like that, repeat what they said. Like, so I'm hearing you saying that you're denying me any further testing. That that you believe that this is normal in your professional opinion. Do you mind charting that for me, so that the next time that I come in and I'm still having this issue, then we can have a, a further, you know, conversation about this because you're telling me that it's not a problem now. Because there could be. I mean, I don't know. I am not a medical professional, but there could be like underlying reasons for a sex drive that are, are very important that need to be addressed. And it's not just about the act of sex. But oftentimes what happens when it's just about sex, most medical providers are not taught about sex. They're in like one class, right, in college. And so they're like, OK, whatever. But the sex drive, the change in the sex drive could just be the symptom of something that is more detrimental to your health. So it's super important that all of these symptoms are being addressed.
0: Such an important point. Thank you so much for making that. And I'd really like to take it to a super basic level at this point. So can we talk about some of the baseline data that somebody might want to gather about their body so they can go to the doctor? So would it be how often do I feel like sex or what are some of the signs that their body might be offering them that they can watch for changes in?
1: I think definitely knowing like, okay, how often do I physically feel like having sex, right? There may be times where like your brains just, our brains get distracted very easily. So it could be that you're not thinking about sex, but if your partner was like, hey, let's have sex, you'd be like, oh, okay, right? So if you notice that there's like this kind of cognitive dissonance there that you're just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know that I want to have sex right now, right? But then once you go to have sex, it happens fairly easily that you feel like your sex drive kind of just changes, even though you were like, I don't want to on zero, but I guess like you were like, fine, you were at a neutral point. And if you were to go to have sex, then it would be fine, right? That's That's what I consider, you know, semi-normal. This isn't always the case, but more often than not, if your libido is normal or like typical, right? You go to have sex and you feel comfortable having sex, your body almost like compensates for that. So your body's like, well, I wasn't preparing us for sex, but okay, let's do this. Right. Or there will be times where you feel like, okay, like I want to have sex. Right. And again, this is very individualistic because not everybody has as high of a sex drive as other people. So it's basically just figuring out what is normal for you. Now, if you find that anytime you go to have sex, like you have the mental desire to have sex, but not necessarily the physical desire, but you're like, okay, like, let's try this. And your body's just like not having it. Like you're going to be able to tell. So vaginal dryness is, can be one symptom, but I will say that that is not necessarily an indication of low libido. You could just be dehydrated. Maybe you had too much coffee, too much alcohol, There are many, many reasons why you could have vaginal dryness. So that isn't the one and only symptom. That is a symptom, though. Um, If you're just like, I'm just not into this. If you're noticing there's a lot of vaginal tightness, that could be an indication that your body's like, hey, like, I'm not trying to do this right now. Right. And so it's really important noticing what happens when you go to have sex or even like throughout sex, like maybe you start off really good. And then all of a sudden, your body kind of just like shuts down, like you will know what that feels like for you. Um, then that could be an indication of change as well.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's all about looking at it over time and noticing patterns. So like you were Mm. saying, you can have one-off things, like maybe you had a bad day or maybe you're particularly dehydrated. But if you're noticing things like, hey, I used to get lubricated no problem, and now I never get lubricated easily that would be something that you'd want to notice or same with just your general desire. Same with any like pain or discomfort or anything like that. Super important to take note. And again, it doesn't mean that something is wrong with you if it happens occasionally or one time, but we want to notice and look for patterns and changes to be able to talk to the doctor about that.
1: Yes, definitely. I, my doctor, how did she say it the other day? She said, our body, because I ha- my heart does this thing where like once a month, it's literally like once a month, <laughs> it would just start beating really, really fast. And that's always happened. And she was like, our bodies are not robots. So it's probably normal. Like your blood work looks fine. Like, let's keep an eye on it. And if it was happening every day, then that would probably be a reason for concern. But it happens once a month. You seem fine. <laughs> your blood work seems fine. Your EKG seems fine. All of these things. So it's like, our bodies are not robots. So sometimes you could have the highest sex drive in the world, and you're just not going to want to have sex on a random Tuesday. Like it happens and it's totally normal. Um, something that came to mind as you were talking is like you and I have talked about sleep numerous times and like a, a common recommendation is using a sleep journal or like we, we both have migraines, I think. So using a migraine journal, right? Like keeping a sex journal, like a libido journal. Like, what does that look like? What is normal for you? Like, what was your desire level? Did, what was the lubrication like? What did you drink that day? What did you eat that day? Right? Because if you're feeling like I get bloated super easily when I eat like high sodium foods, and I don't feel like having sex, and I have a pretty high sex drive, and I'm just like, no, I I just feel really bloated. I don't want to have sex. I'm uncomfortable right now. So like, all of that factors into it. It doesn't mean that like two times this week, you didn't want to have sex, that you have low libido. But we often label ourselves as like, oh, now I have low libido. And then we we get into those thought patterns, right? And then we kind of forget about the physical. And like, it's just like this, um, I don't even know, what to, it's a very slippery slope. <laughs> say <it> that way.
0: <laughs> no pun intended, or maybe pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah. I don't-> <laughs> <laughs> so that's all great in terms of creating awareness to know when something is off and that we actually need to seek care or treatment or maybe evaluate things. But let's take it to a place where it's like, yep, I've been to the doctor. I've been diagnosed with low estrogen. That's the reason or whatever other reason. It could be a lot of reasons, but let's just pick low estrogen because that's pretty common in perimenopausal women. And you're like, okay, so this is happening and this might just be how it is for a while. But I also have to factor in my partner to this whole thing. My partner was used to a particular pattern or rhythm or availability. And maybe that's just not available to them right now. So can you give us some tips about how people can talk to their partners about this change?
1: Yeah, definitely. So first I want to preface this by saying, I think that in any relationship where there's two people, there are three sex drives to consider. So there's the sex drive of each individual or like the sex life, as I like to call it of each individual. And then there's the sex life of the couple. So while a person with low estrogen might be like, Hey, we're, you know, our sex life as a couple looks a little bit different. Your individual sex life does not have to change now. Considering that your partner may not may not have this knowledge or have the same opinion, I just want to throw it out there. I always I also tell my uh, clients that they are responsible for their own pleasure. Every single individual is responsible for their own pleasure because pleasure comes from our thoughts. So if you are receiving pleasure, it is because you are allowing yourself to do so. So like my partner could just like lay there and I could have the best time in the fucking entire world. Right. We could have two entirely different experiences. And so it's super important to recognize like the power that we hold in being able to create our own pleasure. That being said, you probably still want to have sex with your partner and you may be having low estrogen. Okay, so how do we talk about that? So there are two ways to talk about sex. Um, There's in the bedroom, like during the act, like there's things going on. You need to have a conversation. There are other conversations that you have about sex and that, that should be had outside of the bedroom. This is probably one of them. So you could say like, you could, you know, in your mind before you have the conversation, okay, I want to bring this up. This is the goal of the conversation. The goal of the conversation, I want to be very, very um, poignant about this, is that the goal of the conversation is never to convince your partner to agree with you. That is never the goal. The goal could be like, I want to get this out there and make sure that they're actually understanding the words that I am saying. Maybe they don't have the same opinion but at least I want to get this out of there. Or I want to cover XYZ, like these different topics, right? Have a goal for yourself. If you want, many of my clients practice what they want to say beforehand, because they say it out loud. And they're like, that is not what I wanted to say, right? So practicing ahead of time. And I know this sounds really weird. But these are big conversations. And you may not want to have the conversation more than once. So why not practice, right? Um, It's not like you're giving a speech or anything. But So it can help and it can help a lot with that anxiety as well. Um, So I always highly recommend consent to have conversations. So your partner comes in from a long day at work, you're not going to be like, hey, I have low estrogen and I don't want to have sex anymore. Like, okay, can I have dinner first? Like, can I take a shower? Like, no one wants to be bombarded with those conversations, right? So asking for consent, like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Do you mind if we have this conversation now? If they say no, honoring that no, just like if your partner initiated sex, you would want them to honor your no if you said no. So really honoring that no. If they say no, then you set a time together, a day and time, like, I don't know, Friday at 5 p.m., we're going to have this conversation in the living room or wherever it is, doesn't matter, and sticking with that. And then when Friday at 5 p.m. comes, you head to the living room, you have the discussion, right? If they say yes, then it's totally fine to have that conversation right then and there as far as the conversation goes again practicing ahead of time what you want to say i think it's very beneficial to speak in i statements because i don't believe that i cause other people's feelings however many people believe that we do but really what you're doing is you are owning your own experience so i went to the doctor today so an example of like what this would look like if i was the person with low estrogen Um, experiencing like low libido and noticing like, oh, this is like my current circumstance. This is kind of what it's going to be. I know in the past we've had, you know, sex maybe like five times a week. And I absolutely love that. And lately you might've noticed that I've been, you know, not really wanting sex as much. And I actually went to the doctor today and it turns out that I have low estrogen and like one of the symptoms of that is actually that I probably will want sex less. Um, unfortunately that at this moment in time, there's not really anything that we can do with it. We kind of have to maybe wait it out until menopause hits. Um, there's not really anything like tactical that we can do. So I just wanted to have an open discussion about what this might look like, because I know that our normal is typically, you know, five or six and, you know, I'm only really comfortable with two or three at this point in time. I'm also open to having sex more if the time arises. And I just want to let you know that it doesn't have to do with you. It's this is just my current experience right now. And then just opening the floor for questions, comments, concerns, and like, you know, having an open dialogue about it.
0: I love that so much. And I love that you kind of gave a little script almost to work off of because I think that's so brilliant. What I want to ask you about next, or I guess just flag, um, because there's that beautiful conversation. And of course, we hope that our partner is going to be open and receptive and totally on board with honoring your needs and working out a compromise and honoring that they have their own sex drive to take care of and they're responsible for it. It would be amazing if all the conversations ended yeah. up like that. But <laughs> what I see in people that I talk to, as well as the patterns that I've seen in myself over you know the 10 years that I've been married is that sometimes, or a lot of the time, two people don't necessarily see eye to eye and it requires continued conversation and a whole lot of discomfort and sitting in that discomfort in order to come to a place. And it might mean revisiting the topics a few times. Do you have any tips for people who kind of end up in that situation?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think revisiting the conversation is a great idea. Um, I think having, upon having that initial conversation, letting them know like what you are comfortable with. Like, hey, so... I know our typical is like five to six sessions a week. And right now I'm only comfortable having a minimum of two. If there's, if I feel that there is like more days that I want to have sex this week, I will let you know. And so while this sounds fine and dandy, and you would hope that the partner would, you know, take that into consideration, you may have to remind them because again, this is totally new for them, just like it's totally new for you. So if that means putting a calendar on the wall because they're probably not counting the amount of times that they've had sex like this just you know they got other shit going on so maybe that means putting a calendar and like you know writing it on the wall or having a shared calendar on google i don't know like you decide what works for you and your partner but really it's about the person that is saying hey you know what i only want to have sex two times a week minimum like this is this is what i'm bringing it down to from six sessions i want to have it two times a week it's really up to you to advocate for yourself because your partner may forget because they're human and they may initiate or they may be like you know what i i really want to have sex with my wife right now or you know whoever it is i want to have sex right now and maybe they're up to it so let's see right it may not be coming from a place of like i'm completely ignoring your your needs or your desires and all of these things and it's up to you to say no and to be confident in that no because what often happens is especially those of us that have been socialized as women we fall into this trap of like okay i'll just do it this time he's had a long day he's got a lot going on like all of these other things and then the partner interprets that as oh okay so i just have to initiate the low estrogen which they probably don't know what estrogen means, but that's a whole other podcast episode. Like, okay, so low estrogen means just I have to initiate more versus us initiating at the same time or her initiating with me. So I just have to initiate more. And then it becomes into this, oh, I'm super resentful because we had this beautiful conversation. And they said that they understood. And now they're just initiating even more, even though I said, I only want to have sex twice. But what you've demonstrated, this is what you said. But what you've demonstrated is, oh, if you push hard enough, then I will say yes. And so that's kind of like what happens. It's like with the child, right? Like if you always give in, if they whine, then they're going to learn, oh, I just have to whine to get candy or like candy for dinner or whatever it is, right? So it's the same thing. And not saying that your partner is a child. while well, often <laughs> it's easy to treat them like one. It's really about... The, the issue here is, is that you didn't advocate for yourself, you were uncomfortable for whatever reason. And that's not to judge you, but just noticing that, like, you know, you didn't say no, and it was probably a pattern of you not saying no, and not honoring your own desires and your own needs, you were honoring your partner's desires and needs over your own. And so then it just became this pattern of like, okay, I initiate sex twice a week and then my partner initiates another four times and I reluctantly say yes. And now I'm stuck in this thing and your partner's none the wiser. Your partner's like, well, this low estrogen thing wasn't even that bad.
0: I love that so much. And uh, thank you for taking the time to explain all of that. I just want to put this out there for anybody who might be feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all of this information because it's totally normal to feel overwhelmed with this much new information is that, this is a process that's a practice and it takes time to develop these skills of communication. If you've been with somebody for 15, 20, 30 years, however long you've been in your partnership, and you've had an established way that you've done things for, let's say, decades, it's going to take some time to rewire those habits and to re-carve those pathways in your brain to be able to create different behavior in a different dynamic. So if it's messy and uncomfortable and even painful sometimes, it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It just means, that you're going through this process of redoing things and learning a new skill.
1: Yeah, most definitely. If you stay quiet, like it's just going to be messy and uncomfortable in your head. <laughs> so It's like you're either actively in the mess and the discomfort or it's just, all in your head and you're like cussing them out under your breath every five seconds.
0: Yeah. So pick your version of messy and uncomfortable that you need to endure, unless maybe some people are into being messy and uncomfortable during sex and that gives them pleasure, but that's another story entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. All right. Well, Anna, I don't want to take up so much more of your valuable time, but I know that there's going to be people listening who want more of this goodness from you. So can you tell people how to get in touch with you and reach out? And follow you.
1: Definitely. So you can just find me essentially anywhere. I mostly play on Instagram, but you can find me anywhere, sex in Spanglish. So that's Spanglish, not Spanish. Um on I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter occasionally. I mostly play on Instagram. Um, TikTok seems to hate me and takes down my videos, but (laughs) anyway, (laughs) um, you can find me on there. Um, on any of my socials, you will be able to find my link tree which is where you can access, um, I have a free ebook, um, which may help some of you as well as something I call Rendezvous Reboot, which is essentially rewriting your perception of your own sexual story. Um, So those are both available to y'all for free.
0: Yay. Amazing. Thank you so much. I will make sure that I link all of that up in the show notes and on the podcast episode page so people can click them and find them easily. Anna, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me for my conversation with Anna. If you loved this conversation, please find and follow and work with Anna using all of her contact info in the show notes. I'll be back next week with another episode. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person. Or if you want help managing your mind and your thoughts... Around the perimenopausal transition and supercharging your confidence in your body, I can help you anywhere in the world. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to MichelleKaplan.com and click on Work With Me on the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you.